Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo. Uh, today, I am joined by Kurt. Hi, Kurt. Hey, Carlo. Croak, Hello. croak. Ribbit, ribbit. Ribbit, ribbit. Um, and we are accompanied by none other than uh, Caitlin Fortier and Jeff Martin. Um, the the authors, creators. I, I'm I'm just in, in awe of you guys because you, you did all of this yourself. But it is the forthcoming... Uh, RPG simply titled Burger Punk. So, um, Caitlin, Jeff, welcome. Hello. Happy to be on the show. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, yeah, we we, ma- <coughs> we made Burger Punk somehow. <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's been cool. I have to say, uh, you know, hearing bits and pieces of of the progress uh, secondhand, and uh, for listeners. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think probably the best way to describe it is that it is a post-apocalyptic uh, action movie fast food RPG. Is is that a, is that a fair summary? Yeah, that's that's pretty much. I think yeah. the uh, the short version of it. Yeah, it's the the bastard offspring of uh, Mad Max and the McDonald's Playland uh, <laughs> stuff, pretty much. And you weirdos in the bull. Discord. <laughs> ball pits as far as the eye could see the enemy had used their ball pit bombs <laughs> we can't uh, grow anything here <laughs> so yeah, you're that's, joking that's... but we could legitimately just slot that into the book yeah. and it would not <laughs> Honest, stand out honestly, as particularly in, weird instead of, instead of the great salt lake it'd be the great ball pit oh. yeah that's yeah. canon now that's canon. Go. <laughs> go for it it's yours there's a ball pit swamp somewhere. Yeah, you know, Podside doesn't want to say, you know, uh, never let it be said that Podside doesn't give back. <laughs> um. I I have to say, I find the, uh, you know, I don't want to talk talk over you too. And I absolutely want you to, you know, tell people more about Burger Punk. But from the moment I heard about it, I was enraptured with the, the uh, I, I, it's, I don't know, it's a, it's a it's a bold idea, and I would say it's a boldly stupid, but like stupid in a positive way. <laughs> stupid complimentary. <laughs> oh, good, the, good, the good. Kind okay. Of stupid that I respect. <laughs> yes, that is that is my creative goal here. That is the concept I am trying to communicate. So I am I'm extremely happy that uh, yeah, this extremely <laughs> extremely nuanced and very intellectual uh, game concept is uh, For- coming through clear. Yeah, for 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 to be honest with you, I may be but a caveman gamer, but this uh, this concept truly appeals because I th- I think that there's uh, it, it feels like whoa, what was the name of this? Uh, there was like a post apocalyptic um, uh, like tiny film. Was it? There's a kid like with a with a bike. Oh I oh remember. oh! I I know what you're talking you, about. Uh, 
Is it Turbo, Turbo Kid? Kid? There we go. That's it. Oh, That's it. yeah, yeah, yeah. I enjoyed that. I, I enjoyed it, that. It feels like the Turbo Kid could have uh, could have happened. Like, the aesthetics feel like they could have happened in Burger Punk. Yeah, I'm going to take that as a compliment. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it because, like, the, the fun of it is that, uh, you know, like, it immediately br- brings to mind, like, uh, you know, like, people basically making armor out of, you know, like, that's basically re- repurposed, like, Mickey D's uh, styrofoam, you know, <laughs> and shit like that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, it's it's really... Like Kurt said, the the title in and of itself just immediately like brings to mind like, oh yeah, I, I know more or less exactly what this is about. Yeah, I was sold on the title uh, because <laughs> one day Kate just uh, I woke up and Kate was explaining to me this thing that came up uh, in the Discord, <laughs> and and you're like, oh, honey, I- I'm just waking up. Give me a like, second. What, what is going on? Like I heard the phrase Burger Punk. And like, okay, yeah, I'm in. But also, what's <laughs> happening? What? Oh, yeah, this is a, a normal occurrence in our household. Uh, that's the problem when you both make things and you're excited about them and you're bad at remembering that other people need to be at least semi-conscious <laughs> to hear them. Uh, so it's fine. We do this to each other all the time. Or I'll just be muttering uh, about uh, project concepts at like midnight and Jeff will be like, hey, Caitlin, you, you work tomorrow. You work tomorrow. <laughs> She's literally <laughs> describing last night. I am. <laughs> so well. if if I'm a prospective player of Burger Punk, and I am, although I already know, I think the answer to my own question. But how you know? It, uh, imagine that I'm a prospective player. What's the what's the pitch to me as a player? Or a is is there a cool term for a dungeon master or a game master in Burger Punk? Is am there, I, is there absolutely is and. Uh, it is it is the burger master. Yes. Of course. Which, yes. Okay. <laughs> which I pitched as a joke when Caitlin sent me the first draft and her response was immediately just like, "Oh, yeah, just uh add that in wherever I wrote game master, please." <laughs> burger master. I I do I do like that when you abbreviate it it becomes BM. Yeah, just like a bowel movement. Like you'd have if you ate at uh some sort of ancient fast food franchise. Oh yeah, yeah we, realized we were aware that that is how it would abbreviate. Yeah, I realized it immediately after I said it, and mm. was like, "Oh, is this a problem? No, no, this <laughs> makes it better, actually." Yeah, it's just like how I realized that one of the character classes, uh, actually, a very effective early game build for him would make him a battle nudist, and I'm not changing that. <laughs> a battle nudist? What pray tell does a battle nudist do? Well, I. There's a combination of two of the perks you can take. I'll we'll talk about the the game mechanically in a bit, but uh, I realized I had combined uh, the ability to fight without a penalty if you're unarmed, uh, with also just having uh, a bit of armor effectively, even if you're not actually wearing armor. Uh, so if you did take those two abilities, like first out at the gate when you are building that character. Uh, you are technically still an effective fighter, even if you are just like butt naked and unarmed. Uh, and I, I really hope somebody oh, does oh, that. Oh, hold on, hold on. But also, you could also just be like, uh, somebody like a a, a wastelands uh, barbarian, like a fast food barbarian who only uh, basically is made uh, a tiny cod piece out of old uh, Big Mac boxes, and you would be fully. You know, have no disadvantage. 
Oh, yeah, you're ready to rock. You might actually be like an advantage compared to some of the other early game characters <laughs> because like it is a game where intentionally all the weapons and armor are garbage. I had to uh, mute myself for a second because I pictured someone using a uh, McDonald's fry box as a cod piece and uh, I didn't want to blow at the audio when I thought of that and started laughing. Uh, yeah, uh, if, if you want, I've got a little bit of uh, kind of intro text uh, here. It is the year 1997 and America has been destroyed. Fractured fast food alliances that once controlled empires fight over the shells of ruined cities destroyed in the Cola Wars while syrup addicted survivors struggle to get by. The landscape is overrun with aggressive strains of high fructose corn, and the mysterious living meat, TM, has spread throughout the ecosystem, consuming and replacing the more conventional fauna. And that's not even getting into the roving gangs of blood thieves, burger clown cultists, fried chicken militias, and Renfair rejects. It might not be the apocalypse anyone expected, uh, but it's the one that happened. Welcome to the world of Burger Punk, the RPG. <laughs> Carlo, real quick, what I was about to say is what you described is actually almost uh, almost precisely a music video by the band Red Fang, um, <laughs> where uh, the, the 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 band um, comes upon some some like D and D larpers. Uh, oh, in, I've in seen a park. that video. Yes, I you may have seen it for me because I used to post it all the time in the Right Good Discord because I, I I love it. Yeah, but like they go off and drink cases and cases of beer, and then they forge they they forge armor um, out of the beer cans, and then go and fight uh the D D nerds in the yeah, park in it it's got it's, the right energy it is the yeah. exact intersection of those two exact kinds of <laughs> dork uh which is it's, it's just fitting i think i think that's mine and jeff's vibe pretty much right there so oh. who who is oh. the typical who is the typical player character in in burger punk if there is such a thing as a typical player character in burger punk are they adventurers are they uh troops of uh of the sons of ronald who whom are they exactly uh it's it's kind of a mix so we've got a, a mixture of a lot of influences going on here uh there's uh like a mad max style uh kind of like driver mechanic uh scavenger type uh we've got uh the equivalent of an rpg druid and the high fructose corn shaman uh you've got your rambo-esque uh, action hero guy and the the cola commando uh you have uh wh what if warhammer 40k uh, mechanicum except for with uh apple store aesthetics in the technomancer uh you've got Dude who's really into anime figures, which is not a normal RPG character type in the American Idolater. Uh, I, I don't even know what you'd compare the Burger Beast to. Its signature talent is called consensual cannibalism. The Burger, Pe the Burger Beast is like the grossest cleric. Oh, yeah. My pitch for the Burger Beast was, uh, and I said this out loud in public while we were grocery shopping, I believe, if I remember correctly, is like, yeah, yeah it was so at it's Walmart like, shopping yeah, for so it's like, what if Mayor McCheese was like some weird meaty body horror monster and also it really wanted you to vore him? <laughs> it's kind of like a, it, it's kind of like a, what's that, uh, what's that, that golem type class from, from D and D, uh, Warforged? The, the Warforged, yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's like a Vorforged. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> oh man. Uh, yes. <laughs> take take of my flesh. <laughs> but that is that is how the burger beast works. Is they are made of the living meat TM, and they they can heal uh, themselves and party members by just ripping chunks off of themselves <laughs> and and feeding it to people. Wow, you were human duct tape, or it, well, actually, living meat duct tape. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They just, uh, how are we going to patch you up? Uh, I don't know. Eat some of my torso. You'll be yeah, fine. I, I took the uh, healing by eating stuff in a weird direction, I think. <laughs> like the grossest interpretation of video games where you just find random food and eat it and feel better. Except in this case, it is, uh, you know... A weird Stop. mascot that looks like it's made out of ground beef that just rips chunks off of itself. Oh my god! I'm just also imagining the amount of grit and hair and all sorts of gross shit gets stuck in there. <laughs> oh yeah, because it's just walking around outside. Yep. So <laughs> I I think it's fair to say there's something for everyone in this in in, in this RPG. So, uh, something for the whole family. Yes, it sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> you've got your you, you've you've got you know the the young anime obsessed, you know, teen, you've got the weird uncle with the vor fetish. You've got, you've got oh. everything, you know? Oh, 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 you have, uh, like you're it's Kurt. You remember from D the, the D and D, um, show, uh, instead of pre like presto being like, uh, using his wizard's hat to pull, you know, magic out of it. It's, it's, it's somebody that has a happy meal. They stick their <laughs> hand in it. <laughs> <laughs> and you only you only get the toys out. It's like uh, oh oh a oh, it, it could it could also work like a wand of wonder in D anD D. You know, just sort of like random shit pops out. Sometimes I, it's useful. Even I just thought of a really stupid image based on that that I'm probably going to pitch Caitlin <laughs> on including in the book, and she will probably uh, talk me down. Uh, but a uh, burger beast doing a dick in a box joke with a, <laughs> with a happy meal box that then results in actually uh, healing other players. I think it would be really hard to convey that properly while still maintaining uh, the rating we're aiming for, which is more of a PG-13. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. It would be. Yeah, it would be really hard for me to not make that. Well, does that way well, well, too does gross. <laughs> does a burger and and you can say no comment, but does a burger beast have genitals? Because if not, kind of PG thirteen by default. I have no idea. <laughs> I, 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 you know what? It, it's one of those things where no two burger beasts are the same. Uh, so you know, I'm I'm sure you know you've got ones that are just like a weird lumpy Ken doll under there, but I, I'm sure there's like five that or so that are like walking around with a dozen wangs of different shapes and sizes. So Fair it's, enough. it's really up to you. It is your extremely weird post-apocalypse to imagine. Uh, I, I will leave that to the players. I am, I'm not one of those game designers who is adamant that there is a completely correct way to interpret this very dumb lore that I made up uh, <laughs> mostly on the spot out of things I thought were funny or would make Jeff make a make a sound uh, <laughs> of receiving psychic damage when I told him. It, it's something like this. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's 
That's a sound, all right? Okay. <laughs> so yeah. speaking speaking of sounds like that. <laughs> uh I we should we should talk more about Burger Punk towards the end. Um but we would be remiss uh if we didn't at some point transition into uh, a movie that I would say the, the spirit of it sounds very much like the uh, sound that Jeff just made which is uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown, uh, a, a legendary piece of cinema, if ever there was one. Um, and I have to say, it was ha- It was actually really, it was surprisingly difficult to find a movie that was a good fit for talking about Burger Punk that we hadn't already done uh, on, on the podcast or on like another podcast that we had been on. I thought, I, I thought for sure, there was like four or five ones. Where I was like, there's no way. I'm not even going to look. There's no way that we have done Last Action Hero. And we did. Apparently, we've done Last Action Hero. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, there was two of them. I had been on the episode, and I just <laughs> didn't remember. <laughs> Kurt, that, that's what happens when, when some drinking happens uh, on the episode sometimes. Fair enough. Um, yeah, so, so, uh, so Hell Comes to Frogtown. What a movie, folks. What a movie. Um, Honestly, uh, I'm going to say this is the better Why the Last Man, I'm going to say. Just straight (laughs) up. It is. Yeah, it is. It's it's at least... um... It's, it's, It's funny because Why the Last Man feels like it takes something that should be like a very... I don't know, a, a charged in some way concept. And it, it just kind of has that like mid that like mid late 2000s, like prestige comic uh, uh, feel to it, which which I like. And like I did read it and I enjoyed it for the most part. But having now seen Hell Comes to Frogtown, I think I I, I would have preferred if it was just Hell Comes to Frogtown starring uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper and a bunch of people in surprisingly <laughs> good looking frog costumes, including one that, you know. Was was a little bit sexy, I have to say, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> oh PG. yeah, yeah, the frog dancer lady. <laughs> I think the biggest difference between Hell Comes to Frogtown and Why the Last Man is that Hell Comes to Frogtown realizes the kind of like inherent horniness involved in a mm-hmm. a last man on Earth, but the women are still there type of scenario, mm-hmm. and so like. It it takes what Why the Last Man tended to play as like almost like a spy story of mm-hmm. Yorick trying to to get around uh unseen and just makes Roddy Piper like, yep, front and center. <laughs> uh here's his giant green <laughs> uh like protective cage so that uh he doesn't get any belt. yeah there's yeah. like five different kinds of fetishes going on here in like just the first 10 minutes but just the fact that it's his property of the provisional government on his dick <laughs> yes. with that thing is so funny to me i love how it's i i i love how um like military like like 70s like cold war technology it looks like it's like it's it's big and bulky it's very large it's a very large ch- uh, chastity belt slash cock cage uh with with explosives in it it has, it has a lot of functionality i think one of my favorite scenes in the movie is where um uh what's her name spangle i think yeah, that's her name yeah 
Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. S- S- Spangle kind of like rattles off all the technical capabilities of his his uh, exploding chastity belt, and it's got like it's got like range finding. It's got uh, it's got like l- like a taser to zap his balls if he you know if he tries to run away. It's got explosives. It's got an access hat. Like and, and and it's controlled by her like her like two earrings, and she keeps like saying you know if you do this, I'll activate the range finder, and if if you do this, um you know I'll detonate it right now with his ear like it's a very complicated piece of technology <laughs> my favorite part of that scene is at the end when piper is just like uh well how do i uh and he just sort of like looks down like how do i piss and it, oh there's a flap <laughs> <laughs> oh i didn't think he was talking about pissing i thought i thought he was talking about something else mm. but but one of the things that is charming about this is to to, to your point earlier jeff Despite the fact that this movie is very horny, like it's it's sleazy in a way that feels kind of ambiently sleazy. And I think part of it is that like Roddy Piper is like kind of he's like he's charming and he doesn't seem to want to be like like he's he, he's very he's kind of bashful about about being like the sex guy that everyone's like, yeah, we, we need you to have sex with a bunch of people. Um, and it's funny because he he will act he will act the way that you would expect the sex action guy to act, and then I'll be like, what, "Like, what is romance dead? Like, I no, I you know, I I can't I can't perform under these conditions. This is this is way too much. We're in hostile territory. There's no romance. There's no atmosphere. I don't know her. This is this you know, I I can't do this. Where's the you know? Can we get to know each other? Is there is there something there? Is there chemistry? And uh, so I I think it it avoids. What I assumed the immediate pitfall was that I, I largely avoid, I, I would say, that I expected us to be talking about the entire time. Yeah, it's... There's this weird tension, though, between kind of not really being able to decide what kind of, like, eh, horny scumbag he is. Because the very first scene, like, it sets him up of, like, oh, he's in jail for, like, sexual assault. Mm-hmm. But then that's sort of like, oh, but maybe he's not really. And maybe her dad was just beating the shit out of him. And she's saying that he didn't rape her. And and then everything from there on in, it, he's like, oh, yeah, like, oh, she doesn't seem that into me. Like, can you just like back off? Or there's a scene where Spangle is trying to do a sexy dance to get him into the mood. And he is <laughs> seeing that she's just like really not into it. And he's like, you you can just. You can sit down and put a shirt on, hon. It's it's fine. It's just you know, it's, it's dead eyed sexy dance, and he's just like, "Oh, this is what what's happening? Just please stop." I, I, I speak. Speaking of, I have to say r- r- real quick. Um, as much as I like Roddy Piper, the the standout star of this was for me Sandal Bergman, who, of course, uh, Podside, you know, listeners will would recognize as uh, Valeria from Conan the Barbarian. Um, and, uh, she, she, she really, I think, uh, carries the film like Roddy Piper is, he's good. He's solid. He's lives a solid performance. Um, I've seen better from him though. And I think, I think that, uh, Spangle, Spangle is the character that's like the, the, the real heart and soul of the film. I think I actually watched a, we have the Blu-ray from vinegar syndrome of, uh, hell comes to Frogtown. <laughs> and there's a bunch of extras on there. And one of them is an interview with, uh, I think his name is Randall Frakes, uh, who wrote the movie. And uh, he mentions that uh, the reason why the Spangle character 
you know, is the lead is because the original draft was like unequivocal that like this is the main character and mm. the the Roddy Piper character was like the kind of kind of like the the secondary lead like a sidekick who is mm-hmm. you know he has important plot functions but he's not like he's he's clearly not the hero uh and i guess over they did five drafts and by the end uh you know the studio had them have like make the male lead more important and give her a little bit less to do um but i think that's why she ends up in a position where she can carry the film is because mm. she you know from the entire conception of the thing she's the main she's the main character and Roddy Piper is in uh his first movie ever oh i didn't know that oh wow oh, wow yeah well, that's you, uh, that's I, another thing i i learned from you know watching those extras with was that uh, the reason Piper gets this movie is because uh, one of the co-directors, uh, was it Donald uh, something Johnson, I forget what his middle initial is, um, but his kind of big uh, breakout movie that ends up getting him into the position where he can make Frogtown was I Like to Hurt People, which is a documentary about wrestling. Mm. And mm. so because he knew wrestling and he knew a lot of people in wrestling, uh, the studio, when it came time to cast Hell Comes to Frogtown, the studio pitched, why don't we get a wrestler for this? Uh, and it ended up being uh, Roddy Piper. And hmm. apparently he took it super seriously where like he had uh, he had an acting coach with him every day on set. Wow. He delivers like his his performance is good. Like I would not have guessed that this was. His, I, I mean, I you know he's he's a wrestler, so it's not you know and, and was pretty, you know quite well experienced at that point. So it's not like it's it's not like he was you know unfamiliar with you know embodying a character or 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 performing. Certainly was you know had a long history already of of you know performance. I would not have pegged this as his first film. And I see. I mean, he, it looks like he went right from this into They Live. Um, must have been like right after or like right hmm. around the same time because they both yeah. came out in '88. Yeah, it was. It would, um, it have to Carpenter been. saw one of the early uh, versions of this because I guess he had worked with some of the people on the movie previously. <laughs> That's so, so crazy. Jeff, one of the early actual, Jeff did actual research, man. Damn. Hey, you right. told me I had to watch those extras. So well, I also, did. also, <laughs> also, I'm gonna say that. Uh, uh, like if you if you asked me, do you think John Carpenter saw this movie? It's like, yeah, of course he saw this movie. <laughs> Probably went to go, you know, pay, paid for a ticket and go to see it, you know, first day. Uh, it, it does seem like something that he'd he'd be keep, keeping track of anyway. Uh, but yeah, he was already, I guess the the plan to make They Live was already kind of in motion, and then he saw this and was like, okay, that's my that's going to be my main character. That's perfect. <laughs> nice. That's exactly what I want. So. Um, if we can step back just briefly, because I I wanted to comment on something and I I, I was noticing and I I was, I had a little, you know, so jokingly uh, started calling this movie like halfway through. I was like, oh, this is Mad Max Froggy Road, you know? (laughs) Um, And, and so uh, that you mentioned that Bergman was supposed to be the lead I mean, honestly, there are some, it, it feels like 
uh, apart from the general sort of um sort of like uh cliches and and whatnot of like the post-apocalyptic uh movie there are some details that that make it feel like it it was doing it was trying to do something that Fury Road managed to do you know which is you know Furiosa is the the lead you know she's a woman she's the lead they're on a mission to save um, a bunch of a bunch of women uh he you know obviously Fury Road is is taking them away blah blah so on and so forth i mean it's it's broad enough that it doesn't necessarily have to be direct but it, it does feel that way this this sort of feels different in in certain ways, uh, in part because there might have been that tension, right? That that idea that Bergman was supposed to be the lead. I mean, broadly I have, speaking, I, we've got the same kind of overall mm-hmm. story happening, where you have your, uh, you know, your female lead who is, you know, has this mission to save these other women. And then you got uh, some guy an, who's yeah. kind of just there and some idiot would rather that they not found be <laughs> who is useful. And, uh, and who is who who is useful and it must be said another another similarity between the two is that although they are although both uh Max and um Sam Hell are Sam Hell. I love that name by the way. <laughs> uh, up there with a Hell, hell Tanner. Tanner. Lots, of, lots of hells. Um <laughs> Although they're both low down, dirty, grubby people, they both have a a certain like purity to them that everyone else wants. So Max has you know pure he he's a universal donor and he has you know p- pure blood. That's why they take him along as a blood bag. And Sam Hell has pure sperm, and so they take him along as essentially a sperm bag. His his readings are off the charts. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I also I, I loved um, Spangles like no nonsense commanding officer uh, in uh, MedTech. The I, oh oh my god! I I, I love that the, the the posters where they have like the, there there was just like a big poster with the word condoms and it was like crossed out and it says like <laughs> do your part repopulate the earth. <laughs> oh yeah, there's di- some great background jokes in those scenes. <laughs> My, I think I think that that's one of the the more charming aspects of this is that uh, I think Jeff, you had mentioned that the the premise in and of itself is silly, uh, but but weirdly the they're not making they're not quipping they're not making jokes. Uh, there's a lot of the jokes that are just left it, to be discovered in the background, like like you said, Caitlin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the the scenario they're in is is utterly batshit. This is a very dumb apocalypse. <laughs> but also everybody is taking their situation seriously in a way that would make sense like yeah okay like this is this is a comedy but i mean these characters are sort of facing life and death stuff going on and i, I kind of like i appreciate that i i think on a lot of cases uh with that like really quippy kind of like marvel-esque weedenish kind of dialogue style it it sort of undercuts like the character's sense of any of this being real like okay i mean if you can't really take the the menace being posed to your person seriously like why should i like Mm -hmm. i I can tell that it's funny as a scenario you don't need to continually just like roll your eyes at it if you're actually like in harm's way 
Mm-hmm. Right, right, exactly. It, it's very weird to be like, you know, like, like suddenly, like Jason's on top of you. You know, to use another another example that's not Frogtown. Jason's on top of you. He's raising his machete, and you know, you're sitting there going like, "Can you believe this?" You know, <laughs> I wasn't straight- even supposed to be here today. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> Well, I Be- I think it's I, I think it's kind of like a high wire act that a lot of good post apocalypse films have to pull off because most of them are fairly silly, you know, to one degree or another. There's a few. I I would say that the silly post apocalypse stuff far far outweighs, you know, the deadpan serious stuff like The Road, for for instance. It's not really. I mean, there there are absolutely deathly serious post apocalyptic stuff, but on the whole, you know, almost from the genesis of of the genre, there's there's some there's some stuff a little bit you know a little bit silly, a little bit tongue in cheek about it. Even something like Canticle for Leibowitz, I, I feel like, is kind of aware of a little bit of the inherent silliness, even as it's trying to take itself seriously. And I, I think a lot of the 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 best loved post apocalypse stuff does have that that balance between, you know, silliness and and seriousness. It's why something like Fallout, you know, works as well as it as it does, where it, you can kind of switch back and forth between like, you know, I'm trying to ask I, I'm we're asking you to take these series characters seriously. We're also asking you to take seriously the fact that they use, you know, bottle caps as currency, that there's a whole town of frog people with, you know, frog frog exotic dancers, it's it's you know, etc. There has to be that stakes. Otherwise, it's a genre that just becomes parody, otherwise, I think. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I love parody. Yeah, I think you need to when you're writing that kind of stuff. Actually, actually Jeff has more uh practice writing that. He's got a post-apocalyptic hockey series, but uh I, I think with that kind of stuff, you need to be confident about your kind of dumb silly premise and all of the ridiculous stuff that's going on because it it just feels a little bit insecure if you if you keep having to go to your audience and being like yes i don't worry i know this is ridiculous uh please don't think i am actually uh not a serious person who has thoughts (laughs) please take me seriously uh please laugh it's like no no you just need to confidently just stride on stage uh and and just be what you're going for and not really apologize for that and that's the thing i really appreciate about this movie is it is unapologetic about being ridiculous and horny and just kind of goofy and just just you know peak b movie vibes nobody (laughs) jokes about the fact that there are frog frog humans like no, this, that's just taken as like, yep, that is a thing that happened, and that is just part of our world now. We don't need to comment on it. That, it even opens that's just true. It, it even opens and introduces it with like showing like prejudice towards them and the fact that like they are, you know, a suppressed underclass that is persecuted by the government. They're not allowed to have firearms. They even talk about it later where they're like, Yeah, you like, you know, the 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 what do they call them flat lips i think is their term for humans is yeah that, you know yeah. like you you flat lips pushed us out here you pushed us outside of society um you know we didn't we didn't choose to uh, come out here so and, and yeah and, and if if you just treated it as a joke I, I think that attempting to do something like that would just ring hollow and it would just be like like a waste of time i think it's a really key element of post-apocalyptic fiction that makes it 
work is that it's really important that the characters believe in their world and take it seriously, mm-hmm. even if the scenario they're in is uh, absurd or uh, you know the kind of apocalypse that happened is absurd or the results are ridiculous uh like you know let's repopulate the earth with roddy piper uh, but like the characters <laughs> and, and need to super potent sperm the characters need to treat the world as real and what they're doing in it as important as if it were you know uh like a modern setting where we all understand kind of inherently like what would be treated as important. Like they need to understand their apocalyptic world that way. Mm -hmm. And then that will, that kind of translates to the audience because if the characters are bought in, it's much easier for the audience to go, okay, I don't really understand all the nuances of what's happening here, but these characters do, and they take this seriously and the audience will take that lead from them. Whereas if you have a, you know, the post-apocalyptic stuff that is kind of embarrassed about how goofy it is, then the audience isn't going to buy into it. They're just going to laugh at the weird stuff that happens, but they're not going to like really buy into the premise the way you need them to, to make the movie, you know, have, uh, legs the way that Hell Comes to Frogtown has. I'm now having flashbacks to Kaiju Preservation Society, <laughs> uh, which I was reading at the same time that uh, the that um, did you use your actual first name or your screen name? I forget on the episode. Who? Uh, Weather Goose slash Ashley. Ashley, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I forgot if you used her actual name on it. Yeah, but uh, I read it at about the same time that she did, and then we had a long conversation at some point in the DMs in Discord about, oh, yeah, yeah, no, this this book. But that's actually one of the major crimes of that book that mm-hmm. made it not work for me, uh, was the fact that nobody seems to take anything that is happening around them seriously or really care that much. Uh, whereas yeah. this movie does like the characters care about the things they should care about and even if everything is absolutely bonkers from an outside perspective it's it's deadly serious to them one of the one of the most touching moments in the film or the most like emotional ones is where the the frog dancer gets gets killed and uh sam hell is like oh no fuck you like she was my friend Oh like, yeah, I actually that's, felt that's sad it. when that happened. I, yeah, I genuinely felt sad. I was like, wow, like and it's like it's like a major it's it's like a major character moment for him too cuz you're like, oh, like he he actually cares about other people. Like <laughs> Well, yeah, it's and, the and, first time and, you really see him as like being you both see him as being able to like form emotional connections with other people and you also see that you know, he's one of the handful of characters in the movie that can form an emotional connection with the frogs and mm-hmm. just treat them like people. Mm-hmm. And that ends up being like a key kind of character moment for him where, you know, his friend got killed and mm-hmm. it's kind of his fault. And so then he starts taking his mission a lot more seriously as not just like, let's get, spangle into 
free these women, but like I need to get rid of this frog commander Toady. And uh, I love his... I love that by the way. Commander <laughs> Toady is ter- is terrific. It's so good. It's is so he a stupid, commander so or is good. he a Toady? <laughs> Damn it! He's he's both. Um. Yeah, I I think that what what surprised me about uh the dancer dying is the fact that it it's it's almost like it plays with your expectations of what movie rules are so you know like your comedic secondary or tertiary character eh, if they're if they're sort of like played for like her attraction to uh 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 roddy piper's uh, character is played a little bit for laughs. Um, and, and somehow for whatever reason, I, I always get this idea in my head that, it, you know, like a, a comedy sidekick is the one that has sort of a certain immortality or invulnerability. And suddenly she's dead. <laughs> and, and like you said, it, it's, you know, partly because she's jumped in to try to help, um, to help in the in the cause of getting rid of Toadie because she hates Toadie. She wants mm-hmm. to get, get rid of him. Yeah, the characters have like actual like motivations and care about each other, which is I, I we me and Jeff, uh, we have watched a great number of uh, very bad movies that somehow don't manage to accomplish that. And I this is my this was my second time watching this movie. And the second time through I was I was actually kind of impressed at like, wow, this is actually really outdoes a lot of the other kind of bad movies in this tier of what this kind of film is in in that regard. You there? Yeah, I- Kate just muted herself by accident oh. in that sentence, I think. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. How, how, where did I get? You're talking I, about I how it's better it. in this tier of movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was, I was saying, like, yeah, this is my second time. This was my second oh, time okay. watching this movie, and I, I was actually kind of impressed on the rewatch because me and Jeff have watched many, many, many bad movies in between and being like, yeah, you know, this this actually punches a little bit above its weight in terms of uh, getting me to buy into these characters. The one thing that I felt was a little bit lacking in the film and, and we, you know, I, I, it's occurring that we haven't really done a plot synopsis. It's probably not really necessary since we did say it's it's basically uh fury road and uh, you know but with frogs and and uh a, a bit you know and a cod piece which is, and it's that's fairly accurate you know it, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty plot straightforward <laughs> film i don't know that we need to, to get into it's the like if you took all of the great car chases out of fury road and replaced them with action that you could shoot for 35 dollars. exactly that's exactly <laughs> what i was gonna say is the one thing missing from it is i feel like i kept waiting for the action scene that they spent 80 percent of their budget on and there really isn't one. There really isn't one. And the fact that like I didn't come away feeling ripped off is kind of like a testimony to the a, a, a testament rather to the fact that like it's a fairly well done, well written, well acted film. Surprisingly, because like I, I'm sure you know I, I'm I'm sure that we've all watched like B movies where like this seems really shitty, but I bet there's going to be a really good action, like action scene. I bet something really cool is going to happen. And there's a fair number of B movies. There actually just isn't anything cool that happens. And it always feels like, like such a fucking tease. It, I, I, there's few things, I, 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 there's few things that make me feel more betrayed than watching what seems to be like a sleazy, stupid movie and nothing really sleazy or stupid happens. 
Um, and I think if this were a worse film, it it very much would run the risk of that because it, yeah, like even they make a big deal, for instance, of when uh, Commander Cody. I have to wonder if that's a re- if that's like like a sideways reference to uh, Commander Cody and his Lost Planet Airmen. By the way, hmm. that's um, what I was kind of thinking. Maybe I, it seems it seems plausible. And Randall Frakes is born around. He, I think he was born the same year as my dad. So um, seems seems plausible to me. Seems like the right uh, the right time frame. But um, they they make a big deal of when when he kind of goes out and gets into his like you know souped up Lord, Lord Humongous type Jeep with like a with, with like a like some kind of like an anti aircraft gun or something on it. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, it's gonna be like a really fucking sick you know car duel, and there there, there really isn't. <laughs> no, they get out of those cars like kind of almost immediately. Yeah, <laughs> like well, I mean the the car that Piper is in, uh crashes and then they get out and then uh but then piper is able to steal the rpg from the corrupt border sheriff from the beginning and then blow up toady's vehicle i believe his name is lord sodom his uh his his like secret identity i i I believe count sodom yeah count sodom yes (laughs) what jesus christ yeah they they get that look uh you know this this may be the apocalypse and this may may be i mean only if you're not you know calm and rational driver do you actually engage in you know like car-to-car battles you know these are very sensible frogmen so there They're was get a, out of the car. There was a cut opening action sequence that was cut for a very stupid reason, <laughs> which was just that the uh, studio didn't want to deal with uh, any additional outside funding because they had this uh, this idea for a scene where Piper is captured, mm-hmm. setting up the. You know, his first appearance is he's captured and being interrogated by the guy who is apparently named Count Sodom, which I just <laughs> learned. Uh, but there was supposed to be a really sweet motorcycle chase because uh, they knew a guy who had these stunt motorcycles with roll cages on them so that no matter oh, how they landed, they would yeah. pop back up to, uh, you know, like normal position. So, like, they could wipe out real hard, but then pop up and keep going. And so they figured out this scene, but it would have cost $90,000. And so they go to the studio and say like, hey, can we have extra money to do this? It'll be really cool. And the studio says no. And then they, uh, both Freaks and uh, the director, uh, Johnson, uh, knew James Cameron from working uh, for Roger Corman all at the same time. And James Cameron was like he he hears the scene and like he'd seen an early draft of the movie and was his criticism was like you don't have a big action set piece at the beginning mm-hmm. to hook people in and Frakes explains like yeah this is what we wanted to do but the studio won't pay for it and Cameron says oh it costs 90k I'll pay for it <laughs> and <laughs> I love James Cameron what a chad and so Frakes <laughs> is just like well hell yeah and he takes it back to the studio and they're like, no, absolutely not. Aww. And he's like, but he doesn't even want like equity or anything. He just wants his money back eventually. <laughs> he, he just wants to see some cool motorcycle shit. 
Yeah, like he wants he wants this cool stunt scene to happen, and he wants to eventually get his money back. I just don't and, understand how you turn down a, like a cool roll cage motorcycle chase scene, especially well, if you and, don't have and, to pay for it. Yeah, like it's free. It's free money essentially because he's not he's, he's not like charging <laughs> interest or anything. It's free on money it. from the government. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, well, that's what they needed, Kurt. They needed Matthew Lesko in <laughs> the Matthew office. <laughs> If you want a B movie, by the way, with a, a, a lot of insanely sick, uh, like battle motorcycle stuff, check out Warriors of the Year 2072 by Lucio Fulci. Um, it has, uh, it's it's basically like Escape from New York if it were set in a futuristic fascist Rome. And uh, there's like gladi- gladiator battles on TV and they fight them on on motorcycles. And there's a shitload of very unsafe seeming motorcycle stunts. So if if you felt like if you've heard the description of, of that scene, you're like, oh, I wish that had been in. Go watch that and just imagine more frogs. Um, I think we watching. actually watched that uh, at the, you know, in early 2020, like right at the start of the pandemic. That's about that's uh, about when I watched it. Yeah. A friend of ours did uh, like VHS movie night. She figured out a way to uh, essentially stream oh, uh, VHSs so playing on her TV uh, through this app. And so we would all log into the app and we could watch these these movies and she would just plug in like random shit from her VHS collection <laughs> that she hadn't seen before. Uh, she... She has uh, her own podcast. It's called Drunk in the Gra- Drunk in a Graveyard. It's a a small Canadian horror podcast, and uh, yeah, they've they've got a lot of stuff that they have picked up from various garage sales and and su- and used uh, like thrift stores and things like that over the years. Apparently, well, I know what I am going to listen to the next time I go running because that sounds like a cool podcast. You should, uh, and also, also she read the- one of my short stories on air. Once. Awesome! Yeah, I was, oh, hell I was yeah. gonna say the they did. Um, thing called Potoween where they would read uh just short horror fiction every day of October. Uh and like two or three of Kate's stories got read as part of that, which was really cool because that was the first time she had been quote unquote published. That's sick. That's awesome. I love that idea. That's a that, that's a terrific idea. Uh I wanted to mention R- Randall Frakes's connection to James Cameron is is actually like even deeper from having worked with uh Roger Corman. They did indeed work together on um a, a bunch of stuff. They worked together on uh, Galaxy of Terror a- a- actually. Uh but then Randall Frakes wrote the novelizations of The Terminator and Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Um and he also provided synthesizer effects on Aliens. Um, I did not know that. <laughs> so he's a he's a he's a he's a, a multi talented man. He also uh, is credited as the author of Titanic, James Cameron's illustrated screenplay. Um, so they were you know th- they're buds uh, uh, apparently. Um, interesting fact about about Randall Frakes. I I it's mentioned in his Wikipedia article, and I haven't been able to track it down, but I am determined to. Apparently he um he has written for analog fantastic and fan- and the magazine of uh, fantasy and science fiction. I cannot find any record of it or what it might have been, but I am, I am tantalized. I am, I am interested now in finding out what those stories were. Um, Kurt, he must be Kurt. older than he looks because the, the DVD or the Blu-ray that we have had uh, an interview with him where he's on camera and it was not, uh, 
particularly old footage. Like it was they they shot it just before the Blu-ray released. I think uh, he was born in '49. I think I saw. Oh yeah, he does. He all right. Yeah, he does not look that old. <laughs> Forty-seven, actually. Carlo, I think you were going to say something. No, I was just going to uh, point out that you could probably. Um, I don't know if you tried the uh, what is it the Internet Speculative Fiction did. database. I did. Oh, it, weird. it only lists the novelization for Terminator. It doesn't hmm. even list Terminator Two. So highly dubious source of information. Not having not having a. Uh, the T2 novelization well, credit. Well, I mean, yeah. It, <laughs> it, it could have been under a pen name, too. Or it's simply not recorded. You know, whatever. It doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter, just not the internet. The the IF, ISFDB. Jesus Christ, what is wrong with me today? <laughs> um, all right. So um, do we want to, uh, I mean, obviously, we we want to endorse, uh, give the pod side endorsement to... Uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown, which uh, also, you know, after I finished watching the movie, I was like, oh, the entire title is a pun. <laughs> yes. Um, but, um, you know, we yeah, I, I enjoyed myself, but I guess we want to maybe give uh, Caitlin and Jeff a little bit more time to talk about Burger Punk. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. I know that that it is upcoming. So, you know. Tell us and our listeners, like, what, you know, where are you in the process? What's the road ahead look like? How can they support you? How can they ensure that Burger Punk becomes the worldwide sensation that it so clearly deserves to be? Uh, well, we uh, just got the Kickstarter page uh, approved by Kickstarter. Woohoo! Uh, so that is going to launch on February 14th. Very romantic. Uh, Valentine's yes. <laughs> Day. Actually, this is entirely consistent with how me and Jeff uh, celebrate Valentine's Day, and when I remember it, our anniversary. Uh, yeah, our first Valentine's Day, I believe we saw the uh, RoboCop remake, <laughs> uh, followed by the uh, the Godzilla movie that has Brian Cranston in it for like twenty minutes. Uh, yeah, one was we just watched like two or three kung fu movies in a row. Oh, I you know I thought you were gonna say that uh, you celebrate it just like Invader Zim does with with Valentine meat. I and mean that's not that's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> just like sausages, bacon, whatever you have on hand, folks. I, I just wanted to note. Uh, uh, we'll get back to Burger Punk in a second. We managed to get through like almost an hour of talking about Hell Comes to Frogtown and no one mentioned the dance of the three snakes. And you know what? I'm not going to explain it. Uh, that is for your listeners to wonder what the hell I am talking about and then watch it because that scene uh, truly must be experienced to and fully also they appreciate. Could, they couldn't afford a choreographer. So uh, Randall Frakes uh, had to. Uh, talk sandal bergman through what the like what emotions they were trying to evoke through her dance and then she just was like uh yeah okay i'll uh i'll figure something out i guess she clearly knows what she's doing like she was doing some like you know you know some i i'm not an i'm not like a ballet expert but they looked like fairly well practiced ballet maneuvers to 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 my eyes anyway so she clearly knew what she was doing and had uh had the right skills to you know wing that particular scene or at least to 
work with Frakes to achieve the, the necessary vision, which we will not be describing further. Yes. Apparently yes, she no, was primarily is... a dancer. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that, that makes like, sense. That's what she was doing and then kind of fell into acting from there. But she had primarily been a dancer. Interesting. She has like a very like like she has like a very good like action movie screen presence, you know, between this and and uh, Conan. So, yeah. Okay, uh, but back over to Burger Punk. Uh, yes, yes. Jeff, where were we? <laughs> uh, well, there is no dance of the three snakes in Burger Punk, uh, <laughs> it would unless be you want there to dance be dance of the three shakes. I suppose. Yes. Oh, yep. All right. There's another joke <laughs> that I'm probably gonna build a stupid drawing around later. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, so February 14th, we're going to be launching on Kickstarter uh, as part of their annual Zine Quest uh, tabletop RPG uh, kind of celebration month. Uh, our previous uh, RPG, Hell Inc., uh, released in last year's uh, Zine Quest. Which was for uh, some so- reason in like August, September, because they decided to change the month that's in. So even though it's an annual event... We had just barely wrapped Hell Inc. by the time we really had to get moving on this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, a bit closer together than I would have liked. Um, but yeah, February 14th, uh, campaign will run for a month. Uh, our goal is not particularly high uh, because, uh, you know, printing a zine is not particularly expensive. Uh, we're pretty much just paying for uh, some printing, our cover artist, and shipping. Uh, we commissioned a cover from a uh, friend of mine, Lukasz Kowalczuk. Uh, he's a Polish artist. Uh, and yeah, if you like the kind of things that Podside Picnic talks about, you should check out his work. Because those aesthetics are... Uh, the Venn diagram of those aesthetics are kind of just one circle. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah uh, we've- his, his art is really cool. And his style, at least that he used for the cover art reminded me a little bit of um the the one man animated feature film empress of darkness that we talked about uh, oh, a, yeah, about yeah. a year ago it has has kind of a similar like like approachable but gross <laughs> grody aesthetic anyway sorry to interrupt I'd, I'd say that's a pretty good definition of like his artistic uh output and kind of the philosophy behind his uh uh his artistic output like his he he's also done the cover for uh one of our previous games fail marines yes yes uh, is our uh next project is releasing the like full version of that uh the the one we did was like i guess the game equivalent of, of tftrbg equivalent of like an early access build so we'll mm. be uh we're basically taking all of the things we've learned by trying to throw together Hellink and this thing and we'll be using that to kind of improve the original version of fail marines and like uh, all of our tabletop projects so far, uh, they get thrown together in like a pretty short period of time because Fail Marines, it was a thing that Kate made uh, just as like a, a goofy, like in between sessions thing uh, for our regular tabletop group uh, to play. And then uh, one of our friends who was in that group. Uh, ended up opening a comic and game shop uh, about a year later and asked us if we wanted to come in on free RPG day and run a session of it because they had played, uh, you know, one of our earlier test games and they really liked it. So they wanted to know, you know, 
can you come and, you know, our customers can check this out. So then we decided, well, why don't we just uh, make a like free RPG day book that is the, the quick start rules. That is just sort of like the short version of what we've got so far. Uh, Cause we had happened to be working on the idea of maybe making that as an RPG uh, when I was in between jobs. So I did like half the art for the full length book uh, way, way before we had plans to publish the full length book. So yeah, we commissioned a cover and threw together uh, uh, I think it's like 12 or 14 page uh, zine and printed it up for free RPG day and ended up being the only session that sold out. That's awesome. And the first, <laughs> the first item that they ran out of. Hell yes. Uh, and so, yeah, then. Uh, yeah, Edmonton then is about- uh, Edmonton gamers. Apparently more into uh, fail Marines than D and D or uh, what was it? Was it Shadowrun or was it cyberpunk? Uh, there, I think it was cyberpunk. Cause that was around, I think that was the year after the video game came out. Right, so I think right, it was right. cyberpunk. Uh, but yeah, like the there's like a D and D thing left. There's still a bunch of uh, cyberpunk, Pathfinder, and somehow our weird like twelve page zine with uh, like bootleg Space Marines <laughs> uh, was the first like most popular uh, of the of the items. And yeah, that that session went really well. We had a lot of fun, uh, and then the August zine quest was coming up uh, about a month and a half later and Kate decided like I first I pitched like why don't we expand out fail marines um but then Kate pitched uh resurrecting the idea I'd had years ago to do a hell Inc. RPG so you should probably tell them what hell Inc. is uh I, yeah I suppose uh Hell Inc. is a webcomic I've been drawing uh, since 2018, 17, something like that. Uh, but it's a workplace comedy about demons working in the office that runs hell. Uh, and so then we uh, we took sort of the, the base rules that I had for the initial Hell Inc. RPG. I didn't really like anymore. Uh, and so what we ended up doing was uh, sort of retrofitting some of the the best stuff from Fail Marines that we could adapt to uh, a system that is more about, you know, trying not to do work than <laughs> than blowing things up. <laughs> the best system. <laughs> and that ended up uh, way overachieving what we were expecting, because at first we were going to do a, you know, 32 page zine. And that would be kind of the whole thing. And we ended up kind of blowing away all of the stretch goals that we had set up and ended up when we were all said and done, we had a 40 page full color uh, rule book that included an adventure, uh, then a second 20 page book that was another much more uh kind of detailed and much longer adventure and then a whole bunch of bonus uh images for use in virtual tabletop programs and 
yeah, there, there's just all kinds of stuff from that. Uh, and that's sort of the point where we realized like, oh, maybe we should keep doing stuff like this because that campaign also sold more copies of the Hellink uh, comic books than the campaign to finance printing those books did. It was kind of <laughs> surreal, actually. Like it, it had like a, it ended up exceeding like the funding goal by like a thousand percent. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah it, it was, was a little over a thousand percent. Yeah, at first we're like, ah, we'll we'll see how this goes, and then people kept backing it, and then after a certain point, we're like, oh god, we're gonna have to ship so many things. <laughs> oh, no. oh yeah, I had there there was a couple times where I I would come home from the post office laughing because uh, I had a bill for like six hundred dollars in shipping, and that was just the batch I took to the post office that day, uh, and I think I had to do like five or six trips. Before we got everything uh, all shipped out. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, and we, all, we also learned that apparently I work really well with a tight deadline because, like Jeff said, there was about a month and a half between, okay, well, we did Fail Marines, that worked out. And then we found out that the Zinegrist thing existed. And then, yeah, Jeff had kind of written a previous draft of the Hell Inc. game, but it, it basically got rewritten in about two months roughly with stuff added mm. to it yeah the only thing that we didn't really change was probably the first six or seven pages that was all just explaining what the setting was i mean even that i revised quite a bit uh we, we yeah we still did it. rewrite it but that was the only part that was sort of you can still recognize it from the first draft to what we published and everything else was was brand new uh including a bunch of the art yeah, so that went really well. So we decided, well, I mean, there is another zine quest coming up. It's it's coming up in February, so that doesn't give us a lot of time between all of the Hell Inc. fulfillment and also all of the stretch goals I I realized were just, oh, I have to write more stuff. Oh, that's what happens when you do well. You when a thing goes well, you have to you make more work for yourself. Yes. I've made a I have made a <laughs> miscalculation about uh whether these goals would be achieved or not. Uh so pretty much as soon as we were done with that, I, I kind of just had to start working on on Burger Punk right away. Uh uh and it we were kind of trying to to learn what we did from there. Uh we've actually planned out what the stretch goals we're planning on doing uh, ahead of time and actually like budgeted it out. Uh, uh Jeff actually you have would have the references for that on the com- computer you've got right there do you, do you want to kind of go through like what the campaign rewards and stuff are uh yeah so the kind of the basic breakdown is if you want the digital version of the game uh which is a pdf file plus whatever uh digital stretch goals we unlock uh that is only five bucks canadian which is like i don't know like 40 cents american or something i don't know uh and then uh, the printed version is uh, 15 bucks, and comes with the digital version and the uh, uh, all the digital stretch goals. And then the most fun for me tier is uh, you can get a, a playbook of your choice, uh, or as we call them in Burger Punk, uh, flavor profiles. <laughs> Which is essentially like a, a character sheet, but it's specific to your class, so it's got all your extra extra stuff on it. Um, 
you can get one of those uh, custom illustrated by me. Uh, and uh, I've continued the tradition of using uh, Kate as the example. So there is a uh, wonderful drawing that people will be able to see when the campaign launches of uh, Kate as a really roided out Cola Commando. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which was another of those, like, she had just woken up, and I was like, hey, 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 look at this thing I just did. <laughs> She's like, is that me? Yes. Okay. That's fun. And then she wandered off to make coffee. Uh, uh, yeah, and then uh, there's also a, a bundle tier where you can get uh, just sort of all the game stuff that we've made already, which is uh, the Fail Marines Quick Start version uh hell inc burger punk uh and a handful of small ones that kate is working on that will be dropping pretty soon which are one page games based on uh hacks of the lasers and feelings system uh which includes uh the two that she's working on right now are space wizards and sex and violins <laughs> uh and I'll, I'll let her explain what those games are about uh but yeah that's the kind of uh top level just like get everything we've done all in one go uh yeah and i i i don't remember what our stretch goals are jeff maybe you could go through those two <laughs> uh it, essentially most of the stretch goals are uh so if we uh are starting Goal is only eight hundred and fifty Canadian dollars. Uh, once we hit a thousand, the book goes to full color. Uh, that covers sort of the rest of our printing costs. Um, at fifteen hundred, we unlock uh, an adventure module, uh, so that you know you can uh, start Burger Punk without having to have your Burger Master create anything on their on their own. Uh, a weapons and weirdos uh, handbook at 2000 which is uh, kind of what it sounds like it's a, a book just full of uh, different equipment and weird bad guys that you could deal with uh, and then a recipe zine which was a surprising hit on the, the <laughs> Hellink Kickstarter so we're bringing it back uh, so it would be various uh, burger punk cooking recipes. Uh, and then our last stretch goal is at 3000. Uh, we'll do an illustrated uh, short story, which will be written by Kate and uh, drawn by me. And then also in the middle, there are two tiers that will add uh, uh, micro fiction stories to the burger punk rulebook. Uh, written by uh, various writers that uh, Kate has recruited and whose names I didn't write down. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Very but, cool. But yeah, we're we're looking forward to it. Uh, the the rules, like the base rules game is that's that's already written. It's gone through uh, I think five or six drafts. And I think I'm fine with it for now. Uh, once the book gets laid out, I might add more to it if we have more pages left. We're still tweaking the flavor profiles a little bit. But other than that, I, I'm very pleased with myself that I did manage to finish writing uh, a game and some additional materials in, I don't know, like a couple months, roughly. 
uh, yeah, I'm just really looking forward to seeing uh, how this turns out. Uh, Jeff's done some sample pages already. Those will be up on the, the Kickstarter uh, preview page. Uh, he'll probably post them on his Twitter or whatever. But uh, I, I am honestly like really, really, really lucky that uh, just the two of us doing everything in house uh, I don't have to hire an extra person to mm. make the book look really, you know, polished and, and cool and good because Jeff's been doing indie comics for, I don't know, like a decade or something now. Uh, more than that, my first, the first time I had a comic published was 2005. Uh, so I've, I've been at it for a while now. <laughs> and uh, oh. the first time. The first time I did book design was 2008. So I've had a lot of kicks at the can uh, learning how to uh, lay out books and, and get stuff right. And well, uh, so I, that, I have that to say, helps a lot. I have read through, I would say, most of one of the drafts that, that you two shared, shared with us uh, graciously. And I cannot speak to the gameplay experience, but the, the flavor... And some of the fluff that's in there is uh, chef's kiss uh, emoji. So, uh, but you know, we, we are, uh, we're pulling for you. Uh, I, I, I certainly hope that, that you all continue making stuff. And uh, I am sure uh, that this will go well. Cause I think, I think that you two are, are capturing an important aesthetic uh, that is coming around as our uh, American, North American, gr- greater American diaspora, uh, empire of uh, consumer stuff and crap gets sillier and sillier and, and more and more violent and stupid. So uh, I think I think it's timely. It's cool. And I, for one, cannot wait for it to be out. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let's let's uh, be clear here, folks. Uh, Kurt, that flavor, it's fire grilled. <laughs> <laughs> or at least sprayed on fire grilled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is just painted on stripes. Um, you, you know, I, I, I realized that uh, like the, the, the supermarket burgers uh, have painted on stripes. And I was like so disappointed as a kid when I found that out. Um, all right. So uh, do we have any uh, last thoughts? Uh, Dirty limericks, what have you? Uh, no, just uh, yeah, this this movie is is fun and good, and I am I'm glad I acquired it along with a number of other cinematic treasures. <laughs> uh, Carlo, you mentioned earlier something about about uh, Toad Warriors, I believe. Uh, the the second sequel, uh, there are sequels to this, although they mm-hmm. they don't feature uh, the esteemed Mr. Piper, although uh, I believe the second one has Lou Ferrigno in it. Um, but, (laughs) um, the, the second sequel is in fact called the toad warrior. So nice. (laughs) I just learned about the sequels yesterday and, uh, I, uh, I want to go find them. You know, and, and to be honest with you, like, this is truly, you know, like if you've ever played D and D, I feel like this, this movie captures some real, you know, positive bullywug representation, you know? Uh, so you know, also captures people- the en- energy of every single party. Me and my uh, <laughs> friends have formed, much to the chagrin of our GM. Yeah, just dumb and chaotic, and uh, eventually they accomplish the mission. <laughs> I see. Well, kick in the door style is always um, interesting. Interesting keeps things moving along. 
in any case, uh, Caitlin, Jeff, thank you so much for you know sort of recommending this this yep. wonderful wonderful film. <laughs> Hell comes to Frogtown, and also uh, you know for for sharing with us a little bit about Burger Punk. So uh, thanks again, um, and to everyone out there. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time here on Podside.